is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. As if getting a COVID test wasn't already hard enough, now you need to be on the lookout for scammers. America's veterinarians under a lot of pressure, and then the pandemic. We start with the testing. You probably have had a hard time buying or booking a COVID test if you're trying to do it recently. Scammers stepping in, selling fake test kits online, even setting up fake testing sites. Steve McFarland's president and CEO of the Better Business Bureau of L.A. and Silicon Valley tracks all kinds of scams. Steve, how can buyers be sure they're getting the real thing when they get one of these tests? Well, it's uh, very difficult to be able to tell online. You can't really see, touch, and uh, and know if the product works. We're not doctors, so... So we, we don't have a lot of information on that. And, and keep in mind, the, the evolution of COVID began with fake masks, fake uh, tests, uh, fake vaccinations, and then you could buy somebody else's record and so on. So the, the public has been hit just over and over and over again with a variety of different uh, uh, complaints at about a thousand a day in our office just in L.A. of complaints. And the public is desperate. For, uh, for tests and results because they don't want to lose their jobs or, or potential jobs. And uh, you know what? The scammers know, and they are preying on those that don't want to wait uh, for a test, uh, a legitimate test, or that they don't want to do the research. So uh, the scammers are getting, uh, inf- getting wise, and their, their advertising is remarkably good. They're, they're looking at social media, texts, and, and robocalls to clients, uh, potential clients uh, across the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, soliciting uh, fake kits. And sometimes you may get one in the mail or, or delivered. Other times you don't receive anything at all. The third way that we're seeing at BBB is that they're asking you to pay for a in-office uh, clinic visit, and they'll give you an address, which is phony. Uh, they'll take your money and send you to a clinic that doesn't even exist. So there's a lot of ways that, that people are being scammed out there, and you really got to be uh, careful and, and do a lot of research. Okay, so what does the research look like? I guess I could cross-check whatever kit I'm looking at on whatever website. I'm finding it with the ones that actually have been approved by the FDA, and I can find that list somewhere and see if it's on there. Because if not, well, there's a clue that they're just sending me a, a you know swab to stick up my nose, and it's not going to do anything. Yeah, right. So begin with checking with your doctor first. Uh, uh, what tests uh, that they can recommend if they don't have any in stock, uh, or at least uh, look at some viable options. Uh, so check with your doctor first. You can also check with the state and county uh, resources on the online uh, re- uh, internet to see what they would recommend and also what dates are available for testing. But you know, you got to do some research before you buy. That's the key here. And one of the ways to do that is to go to FDA.gov. That is your best resource right now. And and the FDA.gov site is going to get you about 40 or so approved tests that can be shipped to you at home or that you can buy somewhere if you can find them. Uh, And they're also going to have a list at FDA.gov on the ones, the, uh, the, the fake kits as well, some of the ones that are fake. You can also uh, go to cdc.gov and you can see some detailed guides on what kind of tests are out there. You can maybe get a little bit updated. I know we're not all medical experts, uh, technicians or doctors, but you can find out the difference between what a viral test is and what an antibody test is. 
and what what you may need for your particular uh, work and and how long you need to quarantine and and so on in the event that you get COVID. So those are two of the biggest resources. Do your research, fda.gov, go to cdc.gov to check for quarantine and other types, and also on bbb.org slash scam tracker to check for scams in your local area. Steve, uh, one more question about the the tests you get on online. Let's say you you uh, check the FDA list, and it's a test that's made by a reputable company or one of the companies anyway that's on the list. Uh, do we know that even then we're getting a legit test? I mean, are you seeing reports of people getting what they think is a legit test? It's on the list, but it's still phony? Yeah, we are having a couple examples of folks that uh, have gone through the approved list, uh, and then um, they they get a, a, a test kit uh, that they are hoping is, uh, is accurate and so on, but it's not. Uh, so the representations from these people that it is FDA approved uh, and that everything is fine, uh, they'll, they'll end up shipping them a clandestine test kit. Let me give you some examples. Uh, they, they're long lines and people are getting really frustrated because they can't, they can't get tested and they don't want to lose work, especially if they're, if they're not infected. And there's actually these, these barkers uh, that uh, travel up and down the line and, and they've got these signs, Hey, uh, free testing and, and, and test kits, call this number or, or website. Uh, and uh, of course, they, they got you. Now, if you call them and then you, you, they want you to pay with gift cards, they want you to pay with wire or, or, or some type of a cash card program, you don't, have any, you don't have any recourse on something like that. We've even heard about uh, folks carrying signs and walking around food truck uh, accumulations. Uh, of course, we've all heard about the drive up and drive by sites where you see tents that are offering testing and so on. Uh, we've heard about the same situations at swap meets uh, where people are, are walking around with signs on accurate and free test kits with a, with a site or Facebook listing or a number. And of course, uh, there's always folks going door to door. Hey, I've got test, uh, kits for you and uh, we can do that as well. Your best bet is, I know it's tough, but you got to go make sure that the test is approved at FDA.gov. That is your best shot. You can also go to bbb.org slash scam tracker to see if there's any scams in your zip code on fake test kits. And those are some some good resources to at least protect yourself. But also one other thing, never pay with a wire, gift card, cash cards. Use a credit card because then you've got some rec- recourse if, if the, the transaction is fake. Yeah, you can dispute it. Um, real yeah. quick before we run out of time, because we mentioned the tents, and we've seen some of these, and maybe some are real, and, and maybe some are not, and people are running into this problem. You know, they're going to go to one of these sidewalk ones where it pops up and it says COVID testing here, because they don't want to wait at the long line for the county or right. the city. And what, you're going to give away your driver's license or your date of birth or your email or, or some information, right? So they can contact you about your results, and then those results, they're never going to come. Yeah, not, not not only that. Now you've now you've coughed up your personal information, credit card, maybe other information, social security, date of birth, and so on, to make sure that uh, your insurance can pay for it, which is not going to happen uh, with with some of these fake tents. So you get you get uh, whipsawed. You, you don't even get a good kit, and on top of that, you've coughed up your personal information. So you got to be careful. Do we, one very very quick uh, question: If we buy a kit at a drugstore, can we be guaranteed that those kits are real? Well, I think you do have some recourse there in a couple of ways. Uh, you, you know, 
the, the hard part is, is that, you know, let's suppose that it's negative and then you test later on that it's positive. How do you know when you got the, the disease and, and so on? And, and that's a tough area. But uh, at least you've got some recourse from the store, uh, the retail outlet and your credit card both if you think something's wrong, as opposed to buying it from uh, swap meet or somebody online or or some pop up tent or whatever. Your chances are better from doing, uh, you know, better if you if you do it the right way. Steve McFarland, President CEO, Better Business Bureau of L.A. and Silicon Valley. Coming up after a short break, it's not just doctors having a hard time during the pandemic. It's veterinarians, too. Even before the pandemic, veterinarians were three times more likely to die by suicide than the general population. And the pressure on vets is only growing with all the people who have gotten new pets during the pandemic. Dr. Lisa Moses is a veterinarian and bioethicist at the Harvard Medical School's Center for Bioethics. And Dr. Indu Mani is a fellow at Harvard Med's Center for Bioethics, associate vet at VCA Brookline Animal Hospital. Uh, Dr. Moses, let's start with you. Vets lose a lot more of their patients than human doctors do. Animals just don't live as long. That can't be easy. It's really hard. Um, Our work, unfortunately is full of losing our patients, and there's no question that it has an impact on us. Dr. Mone, I'm curious, uh, we mentioned in the setup, uh, of course, about pandemic, too. Uh, How has the pandemic, if you think it has, fed into the particular plight that veterinarians have in terms of a suicide rate? Well, I think that veterinarians currently practicing during the pandemic are overwhelmed not only by patient numbers, uh, but also, also the state of mind of, of all of us right now in the midst of a you know, crushing uh, pandemic and psychological stress that our clients and we are suffering together. So how do you try and get through when you're coping with that? Because, yeah, it's been stressful for everybody. We've all felt it in different ways, but you're still doing this job and everything that comes with it on top of it. And you're you're working more. I mean, we've done stories before with vets and the lines are hours long and you can't get into the clinic sometimes because you're overwhelmed because so many people went and got pets, which is a good thing because you wanted somebody to be home with you. You want to take care of it. But, you know, all the medical needs fall to, to you guys. Yeah, we just we just do the best we can. We 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 have incredibly close teams, um, and Lisa will know our veterinarians um, are really largely supported by our technicians, our veterinary assistants, our client service representatives, our kennel kennel workers. We all work together to try to create the most strong um, infrastructure for our patients who are coming to see us. Um, it's 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 been very stressful. We we eat a lot. <laughs> we order a lot of pizza. <laughs> and we and we know that pet owners are feeling all kinds of external stresses right now, just like everybody else is and have been for such a long time. So I think it's just compounded things so much. Well, I, I, I guess I'm still a little puzzled, though, Dr. Moses, but why do you think, uh, I don't know what the statistics shows, but but why do you think veterinarians in particular are being hit particularly hard? Well, this is not a new problem. Um, in fact, I've been looking at this problem along with many other folks in my field for about 20 years now. So we know that it is worse during the pandemic, but this is by no means a new problem. And I think 
for all of us who are thinking about it, we know that there's lots of reasons why veterinarians are really negatively impacted by the emotional states in our work. But a lot of it is that we're often caught between what we really think is the right thing to do for our patient, but not being able to do the right things for our patient. And that is hard to swallow. How so? Can you give me an example? Is this, is this someone sure. feeling like pet's property and not family member or what? You know, I don't actually think that happens very often. It's technically true that pets are property, but people don't act like that. People act like pets are a beloved member of their family. The problem is, is that veterinary care is expensive and there are huge inequities in people's access to veterinary care. And they really oftentimes cannot afford the kind of care that they wanna give their pets. We know that, but of course, we also feel strongly that we wanna do the best thing we can for our pets. And that, that problem of not people not being able to afford the care that everyone thinks that animals should have is a huge driver to this problem. But it's not the only driver. It's just one of them. Dr. Mani, what what are some of the solutions, do you think, to this issue about, in in particular, uh, the higher rate of uh, suicides? I think think in the past, when people see trends like like suicidality in a population, they might look to the population, um, what self-selects a population, and through that, try to modify the behaviors through harnessing the personal agency of its members. But um, what what's so profound in the research that um, Dr. Moses has done is that she she identified some solid clinical evidence for things in the infrastructure of the profession that put veterinarians at greater risk of this type of sadness and this type of what what Dr. Moses is referring to is moral distress. And without a lot of tools to combat that, I think it becomes pervasive um, and insidious in the population. There are lots of thoughts about tools, way to, ways to ameliorate moral distress. But I think at this point, we just have to start having the conversation that this exists in our profession. Well, right. At least, then, at least you know that the problem is, is there now. So now you can you can talk about it. Yeah, and I, and I want to make it clear that um, it's not just about suicide. It's about veterinarians being emotionally impacted to such a large extent that they're leaving the profession. They're unable to work in the way that they want to work. So we're concerned about more than just suicide. We want to, we want to make sure that the people who are giving care to your beloved animal family members are able to keep giving care. Dr. Lisa Moses, veterinarian bioethicist at Harvard's Medical School Center for Bioethics. Dr. Indumani, fellow at Harvard and a veterinarian VCA Brookline Animal Hospital. A new study suggests getting the common cold might actually help your immune system fight COVID-19. That's because some colds are caused by coronaviruses other than the one that causes COVID-19. And a group of British researchers found that people who had recovered from one of those colds were less likely to get COVID-19. But they say 
This should not be seen as a substitute for vaccines, which remain the best way to fight COVID. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.